Are you tired of ticket fees? Pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more. Go to TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets. Guaranteed seats, no fees. TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Halitech Hall. This is your co-host, Michael Halitech. I want to wish my my co-host, Aaron Torricelli, a happy anniversary. He is taking the night off to spend some time with his bride. We have a special co-host joining us this evening, Eric Lambert from SportsMockery.com. Eric, good evening. Good evening. How are you doing tonight? I'm feeling just fine. Hey, we've uh, we've got a lot to talk about, but man, yes, what a, a, another another comeback! Uh, it's uh, it's amazing that uh, you know they, you know, I think Jeff Joniak uh, was on with uh, Coach Negi, um, was it yeah, last night saying we got to come up with a name for the team, but the Cardiac Kids is is out because that was the uh, Brian Sipe Cleveland Browns from a long time ago. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> At all. Oh, I but, do. Uh, um, so, uh, what would you, what would you call this version of uh, of the uh, uh, you know breakneck heartbreak cardiac kid, whatever you want to call them? Um, they've been nothing but uh, fr- but both frustrating and exciting all at the same time. Oh, there's no question. I mean, it's so unusual to see a Bears team like this because forever. We've known the Bears as a team that was that were always built to play with a lead. You know, the great defense, the running game, they were built to play from in front. So to see them, you know, constantly erasing double-digit deficits, it's very jarring. And, you know, it, it just shows you that this is kind of a new era of Bears football, that they are, you know, they can come from behind. They have a head coach who knows how to do that. They They have a passing attack that is – choreographed enough to score points quickly so you know it's not good for the heart I'll tell you that much but you know it is thrilling to be sure and it's you know a lot of fun to watch at least late in the games (laughs) (laughs) except for the you know when they were on the other side in week two against New York ironically they're at home and they just barely protected the lead that they had built up uh, which you know, that goes to what you just talked about, playing with the lead and, and another affliction that, that the Bears have had uh, for years is they're falling asleep on offense after after building up a, a big lead, and it happened again two weeks ago. There's no question. I mean, they started out so well in in that Giants game, which was a kind of kind of a different trend. They're usually not known for strong starts, but they started really well, scored 17 points in the first half, and then, you know, this offense has always been noted for being so streaky. They can go on some scoring binges and then they just disappear, or they 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 can't you know wake themselves up up to start a game and then all of a sudden they get hot. You know, the lack of consistency is mind-boggling, but at the same time. You know, you have it in the back of your head that they can score at any time. It's just a question of can they find that spark. And, you know, they've managed to find that spark at the right time in all three of these games. Well, this week was no exception. You know, the Bears actually started off well. Uh, They Atlanta won the toss, but deferred. Trubisky marched them right downfield. But, you know, we missed a field goal again. Uh, Atlanta got the ball, the first play from scrimmage. They throw a, a long pass, uh, and you know that was like worth. Th- I'm, I'm sure you're thinking the same as as I was. Here we go again. Right. Well, you know, 
with Julio Jones out, you had to know that Atlanta was going to try and get Calvin Ridley established. You know, he's their most productive receiver. He's their best deep threat. You know, how are you not protecting against the deep ball? It's, you know, it's the best play they have, you know, going deep to Ridley. So you had to be prepared for it. And to see the Bears, you know, get hit with it right away, it just spoke to a lack of preparation or was there a miscommunication. But either way, you know, that pretty much set the tone for most of that game, you know, that big play. It's like it immediately rocked the defense back on their heels. And, you know, Atlanta pretty much had control up until, you know, about midway through the third quarter when everything flipped. So it was really frustrating to watch. It, it truly was. Uh, you know, Chicago came back. You know, they, they came back and, again, they couldn't finish and they ended up with a, with a field goal uh, to make it seven to, to three. But it just, you, you just had that feeling of, oh, my God, this is going to be another one of those times where it, I don't think Atlanta is going to let the, let the, the foot off the accelerator pedal, and, and they're just going to storm right through the Bears. Uh, and, you know, they got off to, obviously, a, a pretty decent lead. It was, uh, it was 26 to 10 in, in the third quarter uh, after a 36-yard field goal from, uh, from their kicker, Koo is his last name. Um, and that was right after what basically changed the, the game and probably the season for the Chicago Bears, where midway through the third quarter, Mitch Trubisky threw that pick that was, I mean, you know, you just, you could see it coming. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no question. I mean, if you if you look at the play again, you know, if Trubisky reads that play right, if he sees the covers the way he should have, because he had good protection, he didn't have to rush the rush the throw. The protection was solid. So if he had used his eyes and he had seen the play properly, he would have seen Wilson lurking on Jimmy Graham, who he was going for. And if he had seen it properly, he would have seen Allen Robinson wide open behind those guys, you know, and he would have had an easy first down. But instead, he makes the bad decision to throw short of the sticks and he makes a bad decision throwing in an area that was well covered by the DB. And, you know, we all saw the result, an easy interception and, you know, something that almost, you know, threw the game away. So, you know, I can completely understand why that was pretty much the breaking point for Matt Nagy. It, it truly was. In fact, I'm, I'm sitting uh, in my uh, football room watching the game. And my wife, uh, God love her, she sat there with me, even though she's a Packer fan. Uh, I, I, I got up to go grab a beer from the fridge and said, that's the end of Trubisky. Foles is going to come in the next drive. And that's exactly what happened. And what was surprising was they didn't, and I don't know if this happened prior, but they didn't show the television didn't show Foles warming up. So he put his helmet on and came right in the game as, as best I know. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, they didn't really have time because the defense was, you know, able to get a quick stop and then they got the field goal. So, but yeah, they didn't really show much of the interception. And then all of a sudden, you know, by the time they, you know, came back around to it, Foles was trotting on the field. It really did happen that fast. You know, I got the quick updates on Twitter about it because I was away from the television at the time. And I was like, oh, man, they're doing this real fast. They're, you know, it's like ripping off the Band-Aid. They're not even waiting. So, you know, you know, it was one of those sequences that you really didn't have time to process it emotionally because the Bears were trying so quickly to get back into the game. And they almost got back in right away. So on the very first drive after that field goal, uh, Foles let him downfield, and we thought we had an apparent touchdown, but then New York stepped in. You know, you know it's just – crazy how that happens to Allen Robinson twice in two weeks. You know, it's, you know, one of those freak things that you always see about the NFL, but you know, in this case, you know, it was a, again, a great play by the defensive back, just an outstanding play. But at the same time, I actually think Robinson had much more of a case this time of saying that it was, it should have been a touchdown because they both had control in the end zone, but you know, the refs made the decision they made, but I do agree that probably should have been a touchdown under the technicalities of the rule. The, uh, you know, the, what was the, uh, um, the term that we used prior to uh, the process? 
He didn't complete the process, and that that verbiage reared its ugly head again. Um, and Robinson actually talked about it, where he had a similar play when he was still with Jacksonville, and right. it was ruled a it was ruled a touchdown. He says, "I had it. We had simultaneous possession of the ball. My head, my my both feet hit the ground." I fell to the ground. I still had control only when we when we toppled over each other where he, he said, I lost my leverage on the ball, and he came out with it at the end, but a simultaneous catch should be a touchdown. So, you know, when you, when you take a look at it, I understand why New York made the call, but I also understand Robinson's point of view. So we're both obviously Bears fans, and right, yeah, yeah, you know, but you know, trying to be unbiased about it, what's your gut reaction of, about the overturn? I wasn't surprised, you know, I felt it could really go either way, it was that close, so I felt it was a touchdown. I felt, but I, I you know, I was also telling myself if they overturn it, I won't be surprised because it really was that close. So, you know, I wasn't that upset about it, but I just wish one of those calls would go our way for once. We, we want to see that. And hopefully over the course of, you know, we've got 13 games left, you know, and if the, and we'll get into previewing the Colts game um, in the second half of the show. But if, if we can win this game, uh, they only have to go six and six the rest of the year to make the playoffs. As weird oh, as that no sounds. Qu- yeah. I mean, a fast start can do so many things for you. And this has been a problem for the bears for years, getting off to good starts. They get, but you know, under Matt Nagy, they got off to a good start in 2018 and you saw the results. They got off to a good start in 2019, but then the injuries start to hit. Mitch starts to struggle. So, you know, they weren't able to quite finish last year, but there were, there were opportunities for them to still make the playoffs even late, even down the stretch. So, you know, Matt Nagy understands the value of a good start, which is why I think he wasn't willing to throw that game away on Sunday rather than just moving on to next week. He, he felt they needed a spark. He felt they could still get back into it. So he put in foals and, you know, they won the game. So you weren't, you weren't watching the game. You were, you were doing something, but I'm assuming you were listening to uh, Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer on the radio, right? Oh, yeah. So did you have a feeling that Trubisky was going to be pulled after that interception? Or did you think that uh, uh, they were just going to continue with Foles or with Trubisky, seeing as though he had a similar comeback in the fourth quarter in game one? I could have easily seen them, you know, sticking with Trubisky to give him another shot at the fourth quarter because he'd done it before. But honestly, the sway in my mind really started to go in that direction after he missed the deep ball to Anthony Miller, you know, that one that, you know, was just out of his reach. You know, you get the big return from Cordero Patterson. You're, you're, you're getting a drive. Miller's wide open. He's got a step on his guys. You know, the protection's good. You've got to hit that throw. And once again, Mitch just can't hit that throw. It's been a consistent issue for him. And I, and I really believe that was the one that really started to boil the blood of Nagy. You know, it was a well-drawn up play and he just didn't execute it. And, you know, he got tired of seeing it. And I think the, the interception was the final nail in the coffin. So. Yeah, that was uh, that pass to Anthony Miller was right before the end of the first half and it's a touchdown. Oh yeah. Uh, it's, it's absolutely is going to be a touchdown. And, you know, we ended up with nothing and at, uh, at halftime, uh, it was 16 to 10. So not too far out of reach, but you know, Atlanta came down again, scored a touchdown early in the third quarter. And then they scored a, the, the field goal after the interception. And then that's when, uh, you know, the, the, the full show took over and, and, you know, it was unbelievable. You had your, your, your interception where Robinson lost the leverage on the ball. His next possession was actually, and I forgot about this when I, until I went back and looked it up, there was actually a three and out in there. 
um, after the after the field goal, um, and then you had the the turnover on downs when Miller, you know, it was would have been a tough catch, but it should have been caught. But he dropped the ball, and you know these are two lost lost possessions. So the interception, yeah, yeah. you know, the interception of course ended that drive, and the the drop by Miller was on fourth down. You know, and he should have he should have had it. So oh yeah, and then, and I then mean, all of a sudden, that, boom, 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 three touchdowns in a row. I mean, that throw to Miller was absolutely unreal. I mean, the protection was solid, but it was fourth and seventeen. You know, you have no business being able to complete a pass in the end zone under those circumstances. But the pass he threw was as perfect as you could possibly imagine. It was a bullet. It was right outside of the outstretched fingers of the defender, only where Miller could get it. Miller had his hands on it. Yeah, a bit of a tough catch, but, you know, it hit him in the hands, and it shouldn't have been that hard, you know, given some of the highlight reel catches he's had before. So that should have been a touchdown. And to see him drop another one in the second straight week, it's incredibly frustrating. But, of course, he ended up making up for it. Yeah, he did. Uh, meet me at the L, huh? <laughs> sounds, meet me sounds, at the L. <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like a day somebody's trying to pick up somebody on the blue line. But <laughs> rather perfect, isn't it? Oh, it was it was uh yeah, out, outstanding. You know that you know we've had uh Robinson drop a touchdown pass now. We've had Miller drop two touchdown passes. And it's hard to believe that you know do you know what the record is for the most touchdown passes in a season by a, by the Chicago Bears is? 29. 29, and it was done by Eric Kramer in the 1995 season. Uh, one of the, the games I remember really well was he threw four touchdown passes against Green Bay in Green Bay only to lose when Green Bay scored a touchdown when Favre led him did back for a touchdown to win 35 to 28. And just was as frustrating as hell to see that happen. Eric Kramer goes on to break his neck or, or a, a bone in his neck or a bone in his back the next year. And then all of a sudden, you know, our quarterback situation was all up in the air again. But the Bears have nine touchdown passes through three games. So anyway, you slice it they're They're on a pace for 48 touchdown passes in one year. And pretty crazy for, for as much as the, you know, we're sitting here all complaining about how the bears offense has sputtered most of the season, the first half, the second half of the giants game, the first half again in, in Atlanta, they're on a pace for 45 touchdowns. That's just unreal. Oh yeah. You know, especially for this franchise, which is, you know, Touchdown passes wasn't something you heard a lot for, you know, a lot of years from, you know, some of these quarterbacks. So th I think this is, you know, a really good validation of Matt Nagy and his ability to, you know, drum up offense. The fact he's been consistently winning games and generating offense, you know, even though it would struggle at some times with now three different quarterbacks. He had, of course, Trubisky, he had Chase Daniel, and now Nick Foles, he's winning games with all these guys and just continuing to find ways. So I think that's a, you know, a tremendous validation of how good of a coach he actually is. I can't, I can't argue the point, but I will, I will maybe add to it that the investment they made with the new offensive coaches has helped enhance his, his game. You know, he's now oh, 100%. Uh, we're, yeah, we're not seeing the trick plays that we saw the gimmicky plays in 2018, which were all fun. And it was great when they were winning. And maybe we'll see those again if, if they get to, you know, build up a two, three score lead later in, in, in the year. But, you know, it's been good, solid football, it, which leads us right into the to the next point is. You know, our running game continues to, I won't say it's excelling, but it's a hell of a lot better than it was last year. Last year, we had so many missed blocks on the offensive line. They averaged 10 blocks, 10 missed blocks per game. And this year, 
you know, the, the offensive line has just been firing on all eight. Oh, 100%. I think, you know, Juan Castillo, the offensive line coach, and then uh, Bill Lazor, the offensive coordinator, both of those guys had understated reputations for building running games. You know, Lazor's obviously mostly connected to quarterbacks because of his history, but, you know, there have been a number of players I read interviews on, and they said his uh, crafting of running games is actually really impressive. It just hasn't had a chance to shine because he doesn't commit to it as often. Whereas Juan Castillo, if you go back through his history as an offensive line coach, his yards per carry average was almost consistently in the top 10 among running games in the NFL every year. So while he may not have always had the most, you know, total yards productive running games, his, his running games were always efficient. So, you know, that's what he's been doing again this year. He's a perfect complement to what Nagy wants to do, and it's, and it's working out really well. David Montgomery's playing well. You know, Patterson's having a nice effect. Cohen was before he unfortunately got hurt. So, you know, it's working for what they want to do. And now that you've got a more professional quarterback in there with Foles, I think it'll be even better. Oh, we can only hope. Speaking of professional quarterbacks, probably the play of the game wasn't one of his Let's just say he had five touchdown passes, one that got taken yeah. away by the officials, one that got taken away legitimately by the replay booth when Miller dropped that fourth down pass. And then he, he still ended up with three touchdown passes. But probably the, the play of the game was the fourth down completion to Ted Ginn. Oh, God, it was my it was. You know, aside from the one to Miller in the end zone that was dropped, that was my favorite throw. I mean, it, it was absolutely money, fourth and six. It's a gotta have it play because you know if if you if you don't get it there, the game's probably over. You know, there, there's you're just not going to have enough time to get back into it. But to see him, it's a three-man rush. It's eight men in coverage. He, he's calm in the pocket. He doesn't panic. He waits and he, you know, he sees his guy and he drops it right in the bucket between the safety and the cornerback to get the first down. It was absolutely money throw and just gorgeous. I was, I was just, I couldn't believe when I saw, and I, he was how wide open Ginn was. That play was oh, yeah. just so well designed. You got his hats off. You got to take your hat off to Nagy. And, and like you said, he, is we're now seeing the offense really start to blossom. And with Foles running it, starting, you know, where he gets a full complement of, of snaps in during, during the week, you, who knows what we could see. And, and I'm, I'm hoping we don't see a train wreck like we, you know, like we've seen with Trubisky so far. Now that he's got the reins and he can start, I don't think we'll see that because his command of the huddle, his demeanor under center, his ways to communicate with his receivers, uh, you could just, you could feel it. You could feel the confidence building in this squad as they started to, to score these points. And I mean, literally they had five touchdown drives out of, oh, yeah. out of, out of six drives that they had with Foles as the quarterback. Five of them went for touchdowns. Unfortunately, one got, you know, the two that got called back. But that leads us to the last drive of the game when we had the <laughs> get to the L. Uh, uh, that is just the most <laughs> hysterical thing that I have heard. You know, it, it almost sounds like you're drawing up plays in the sand. And, and you know, we talk about, Patrick Mahomes and his ability to, to play backyard football. That was backyard football at its finest. He basically told Anthony Miller, if they're going to do an all out blitz, shake your defender and get to the L in the end zone. And it's Foles stood there. He waited as long as he could. He lofted the ball high enough to where Miller could run into it. And he absolutely gets steamrolled by their defense, but the ball falls gently into Miller's hands for the game-winning touchdown. I mean, that play demonstrated exactly how football smart Foles was because he actually had that play set up in his head well ahead of time because uh, he, after the game, he told the media that Atlanta actually gave him that same look before 
But the last time they had dropped the two safeties back into coverage and sort of fooled them a little bit. So when that look came back around, he figured they were probably going to bring the blitz the next time to see if they could catch him off guard. So he was ready for it. He was 100% ready for that play. And he knew exactly where he needed to go with the football, which is why he spoke to Miller and said, listen, I might have to get this off quick. So just run to the L and the ball might have a little bit of steam on it. So just be ready for it. And, you know, he saw the blitz coming. He waited as long as he could. And he, and it was a perfect pass despite getting plowed through, you know, while he was releasing it, it was just a brilliant play from start to finish. It was. We we talked a little bit about the the Bears running game now through through three games. Uh, David Montgomery has rushed for a hundred and ninety one yards. Um, you know, I don't think he had a hundred and ninety one yards in his first five games last year. Oh yeah, I mean, he's he's run really well. I mean, p- people aren't giving him enough credit. I mean, his his after his yardage after contact is so impressive. I mean. His contact balance, his deceptive strength. I mean, the guy just refuses to go down after the first hit. And I think that's extraordinarily valuable to the Bears because he's able to churn out those extra yards, create easier down in distance. You know, there was one play where he made a catch in the red zone and he was stopped at the line of scrimmage. A guy had him and he shook the guy off, ended up gaining six yards, which set up. Nick Foles' first touchdown pass to Jimmy Graham, which I believe was a two-yarder. So it's little plays like that that makes Montgomery so good and so valuable to this offense. Absolutely. Uh, before the year started, we were we were kind of hemming and hawing and doing some prognostications, and and I I literally hoped for the fact that we would see Montgomery run for 1,200 yards. He's he's right now on a pace to be just over a thousand. And I and he's going to get a stronger workload now that that Tariq Cohen is going to be shelved for the year. Oh, that's true. But I also think it's going to you know work in his favor because Foles is in charge, and you know I don't think Foles is going to have any problems checking into more running plays, which is something I don't think Mitch was really you know keen on or you know did as often as you know a more veteran quarterback like Foles might so i think you know Foles is going to be highly beneficial not to mention because he also checks the ball down a lot you know whenever the defense is going to give him something like that which will give Montgomery more opportunities in the passing game as well so i think Foles coming in is going to be a huge benefit to Montgomery and i think that there's an additional irony to that because Foles also will press the ball downfield. We saw a lot oh, of yeah. air yeah, yeah. Under, underneath his passes in, in that fourth quarter. I mean, it, it, there was a crazy stat I saw after the game. You know, they, they released the passing charts for both Trubisky and Foles from that game. And I saw that uh, Trubisky had four passes that went 15 yards or more down the field. And Foles, despite playing almost, you know, two and a half quarters less, had 10 so that pretty much tells you that Foles is a considerably more aggressive, at, you know, attacking down the field, and he's going to keep defenses honest in that regard. He's going to take his shots. Sometimes, you know, you know, they'll fall incomplete. One or two might get picked off, but he's not going to stop being aggressive. You know, he believes strongly in the big play, which is probably why Matt Nagy likes him so much because he has that same mentality. So with defenses unable to, you know, load the box constantly as they've been able to do in the, in the past, that's definitely going to help out both the offensive line and Montgomery. Absolutely. We're going to take a break and hear from our sponsor, TickSplits.com. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about a Bears team from the past that got off to a slow start. Uh, but we were pretty happy with the outcome of, of that season. And then we're going to uh, preview the Indianapolis uh, game coming up here at noon on Sunday at Soldier Field. So we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. I just heard my favorite band is in town. I'd love to get good seats, but everywhere I've looked, the ticket sites have crazy service fees. Haven't you heard of Tick Splits? Who? Tick Splits. They don't gouge you with crazy fees. The price they advertise is the price you pay, plus a small delivery fee. Never pay service fees again. Go to TixBlitz.com today. TixSplits.com. Guaranteed seats, low prices. That's TixSplits.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. 
Thanks to our sponsor, TickSplits.com. Use the promo code TAILGATE, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E, and save 5% on all your purchases, whether it's a Bears game, a Chicago concert, a Broadway show, you name it. It's TickSplits.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. Eric Lambert has graciously joined us to sub for my co-host and producer, Aaron Torricelli, who is spending this evening on his wedding anniversary with his lovely bride, and we'll welcome him back next week after what we hope is another victory against the Indianapolis Colts. But before we get to previewing the Colts game, there was a certain team in Chicago uh, wearing the orange and blue that, that got off to a rough start of their own. And uh, you, so I'm, I'm going to go over a couple of stats, Eric, and, and see if you can guess who this team is. In week one, they fell behind at halftime, 28 to 17. In week three, they fell behind... 17 to nine midway through the third quarter in week four, they fell, they fell behind 10 to nothing after the first quarter. Uh, they had fallen behind. They were so badly outplayed that they were outgained in offense, 124 yards to just two yards. And then in week five, they fell behind 12 to three. So that's four of their first five games where they trailed early or all the way into middle of the of the third quarter. Do you have any guess who that team might be? Was that the 85 Bears? That was the 85 Bears. Great job, Eric. Yeah, in, in <laughs> week one, they uh, – <laughs> in week one, they could not stop Tampa. Could not stop them. They were they fell behind 28 to, to 17. Um, the on third down, uh, Tampa actually got the ball to start the second half. And on third down, uh, Richard Dent deflected a ball. Uh, it fell right into the arms of Les Frazier, who returned it for a touchdown. And all of a sudden, the route was on. They uh, they ended up holding Tampa scoreless in the second half, and they turned a 28 to 17 deficit into a 38 to 28 victory to start uh, week one of the, what was the Super Bowl season uh, in week two, um, they manhandled at home. The, the Patriots, the Patriots only got into bears offensive terror, their defensive territory. One time they scored a touchdown, but it was later in the game and the bears won that game pretty handily 20 to seven it, week three is the Jim McMahon game. So yep. what happened there was the, the Bears fell behind. Uh, it was 17 to nine. Uh, Jim McMahon didn't practice all week. Ditka held him out. He kept on. He was just in his ear the entire, probably most of the second quarter and into the third. And he, he finally lets McMahon into the game in his first play from scrimmage. They actually had a screen pass called. Uh, but Minnesota blitzed, and the intended target of the screen, Walter Payton, just plows through, almost knocks McMahon over. And McMahon, was, as he was fading back, he trips and almost falls to the ground. And, and Payton levels the linebacker coming in on a blitz. McMahon writes himself and unleashes a bomb downfield that Willie Galt grabs for a 70-yard touchdown. And they ended up winning that game 33-24. to uh, Jim McMahon threw for three touchdowns and almost threw four in the third quarter uh, to end up winning that game by nine points. In week four, they were playing the Washington Redskins. This is the uh, uh, John Riggins, Joe Theismann team of 1985, which was a pretty decent team. And I, I happened to be a season ticket holder back in 1985, and I'm sitting there, and they, they the, the Redskins just methodically beat the hell out of the, the, the Bears' defense, came down, scored a touchdown. The Bears did nothing. The, 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 the Redskins came down again, 
they ended up eating up almost the entire clock in the first quarter. They threw an incomplete pass to start the second quarter. Mark Mosley kicks a field goal, and it's 10 to nothing. And literally, the Bears had been outgained at that point 124 yards, but for Washington to just two for the Bears offense. Well, a 10 to nothing lead vanished in about five plays. On the ensuing kickoff, Willie Gall took up the kickoff back what should have been 100. They only gave him credit for 99 uh, yards and a touchdown. And on the play, uh, the Washington Redskins kicker held both the kicking and the punting duties while their their place kicker, uh, Mark Mosley, just handled the field goals and point after. So he gets injured on the play. The uh, the Washington Redskins get called on the kickoff for for uh, unsportsmanlike or personal foul. So they're backed up inside their 20-yard line. They go three and out, and the quarterback for the Washington Redskins is Joe Theismann. And Joe Theismann literally gets back into punt formation and proceeds to shank the ball off the side of his foot. It, he got credit for a one-yard punt. On the first play from scrimmage, Jim McMahon hits Emery Moorhead in the right uh, on the right side uh, for a touchdown. So, from a 10 to nothing deficit to a 14 to 10 lead, and they just didn't let up. The Bears scored a record 31 points in the second quarter to take a 31 to 10 halftime lead, and the party was on. You know, and Washington couldn't do a thing. In the second half, the Bears added two more touchdowns and one going away 45 to 10. Uh, and then in week five, they fell behind 12 to three. I didn't even write down the opponent, but they came back to win uh, 27 to 19. Uh, and, you know, they had a couple of tough outings later in the season. After, after they lost, uh, the only game they lost all year down in Miami, they, they struggled against the Colts. Uh, at home, it was a cold, windy day, and, and uh, Walter Payton capped it off with a touchdown late in the game to uh, to ice it. But um, you know, so there's hope. I bring that up. I bring all of that up about the '85 team to say, "Hey, Bears fans, you know we're three and zero. We could have been zero and three. The Bears of '85 could have easily started their season." one and three or one and four, and they ended up going to the Super Bowl and, dom- you know, having at that time the most dominating performance in Super Bowl history when they just creamed the Patriots 46 to 10. So uh, we, we'd like to do a little history segment on the Halitech Hall show um, almost every week, and this was just a perfect time to talk about and it, we talked about this before the show started, Eric. All we remember of the 1985 team was how dominating they were. But as as if you go back and and actually look at the games, wasn't always that way. Oh yeah, I mean, the other thing you have to remember about the '85 team is everybody's. You know, all, whenever they talk about the '85 team, it's almost always about the defense, and rightfully so. I get it. You know, it was a dominating unit, one of the greatest of all time. But they were a they were a complete football team. You know, they had a they had the number two offense in the NFL, the, the absolute best running game, and they also had special teams. Willie Galt, you had a good, you had a decent kicking game, good punting game. You know, they had everything, and you know that's how you go 15 and one and dominate your way to the Super Bowl. So, you know, you need everything from all phases. It, you can't be a one one unit team. You need everybody to contribute in order to win a two, a championship, and that's what that team was like. Absolutely right. Calvin Thomas, uh, Dennis Gentry, Matt Suey, Walter Payton, they all carried their specific roles to a T on offense. You had uh, Emery Moorhead, you had Tim Reitman at tight end, you had Galt and McKinnon as your as your wide receivers. And, you know, they they all had phenomenal years. You know, uh, aside, you know, Willie Galt had a tendency to drop passes, but you know, his speed on the outside is what opened up the middle of the field for the not only 
the rest of the passing game, but for the, uh, the for the for rushing as well. One hundred percent. I mean, the offensive line, even though they have a Hall of Famer now with you know uh, the left tackle. God, his name's escaping me. What's wrong with me? Jimbo. Jimbo. Jimbo Covert. Thank you. <laughs> you know, they had a Hall of Famer, but that that line was just unbelievably good. You had Hilgenberg, you had Bort, you had Thayer. You had, you know, it, it was just such a dominant unit. And, you know, as great as Peyton was, you know, they they still don't get enough credit for how good they made that offense. You know, they just made everybody so much better. It was one of the best constructed units in Bears history. And I wish they were, you know, remembered with even more reverence, more reverence than they are. You know, they do get kudos for having, you know, the, the one of the best teams of all time, you know, especially when you look at the, these NFL, uh, you know, NFL network clips, uh, you know, the, the best, one of the best one year performances by any team ever, you know, their odd, their defense was absolutely spectacular um but you're right they were a total team that uh uh you just wish they could have stayed together a little bit longer it's true i mean they they themselves have admitted that they left a couple of super bowls on the table and if you really look at it unfortunately as has become routine it came down to the quarterback position you know mcmahon couldn't stay healthy they tried to find alternatives, but it just didn't seem to work out. They kept making the playoffs, but teams with better quarterback situations kept beating them. You know, the Redskins, the 49ers, it, it was just one of those situations. And it's really unfortunate because, you know, they had so many opportunities to get a great quarterback in the early 80s. You know, there was a string of drafts where there were some really good ones that came out, you know, and they got a good one in McMahon, but he just couldn't stay healthy. So you know, it's just unfortunate it worked out that way, but at least they managed to get the one because I'll take the one over none at all. That was such a fun year, man. I was, uh, let's see, my oldest son um, turned one in 1985. And uh, uh, unfortunately, since he was so young, I didn't get a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I promised my wife I would go to the next one or I would divorce her. I ended up divorcing her a long time before uh, the Bears ever made it back to the Super Bowl. Um, but by by the way, the uh, the Bears that the the game five in '85 where they fell behind 12 to three at halftime was actually the rematch against the Tampa Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, down in down in Tampa. That leads us to our preview of the Colts game. So. Eric, I'm going to let you start off. What do you expect to see this Sunday in Chicago? Hopefully the weather will be nice. Well, for sure. But, you know, to me, this is a game that's going to be decided in the trenches because, you know, I think the Colts have one of the best offensive lines in football, and I think they have one of the most underrated defensive lines in football, and that's what's really been driving them to their, you know, strong start this year and I think this is easily the biggest challenge that the Bears have faced in the trenches this year so far so I'm really interested to see how you know they handle it they have a good defensive front with Hicks Quinn Mack obviously I think you know in terms of a pass rush they should be you know okay in getting after Phillip Rivers my big concern is can the middle of that defensive front hold up in the running game because that's been an issue for them the first three weeks and, you know, Jonathan Taylor, he's a talented running back. You've got Quentin Nelson and those hogs up front. So, you know, that's going to be a big challenge for them. So, and then, uh, you know, on the offensive side, you got the Forrest Buckner in the middle there, and then you got Justin Houston. So they've got, a, you know, a strong defensive front that can get after the passer, and you really need to protect Nick Foles because he's not a guy that's going to be able to, you know, run around and, you know, keep buying time. You've got to keep him upright if you want him to be effective. So, to me, this is this is one of those games that's really going to be decided and decided at the at the line of scrimmage and in the trenches. If the Bears hold up, I think they got a good chance to win this game. You know, much has been brought up about the Colts' running game, in particular, um, rookie out of Wisconsin, who uh, I living up here in Wisconsin, I had the pleasure of watching his entire career. 
Jonathan Taylor is, is yeah, he's a hell of a running back, but our running, our running game isn't too bad on our side of the ball either. So um, the one thing that, that the Colts are two and one bears are three and oh, um, but they haven't won a game outdoors. The only, the only game they lost was a road game. So advantage bears because they're used to playing on natural grass and it's a little bit slower surface than what they've got down in, in Indianapolis. Um, you know, Phil Rivers is having a pretty good year, at least percentage wise. You know, Phil Rivers is completing 78% of his passes, but he's only thrown three touchdowns. Yeah. Conversely, their defense is allowing 77% <laughs> completions. Yeah. So, you know, you know, we, we talked about Montgomery's performance and everybody has been harping on this, you know, Jonathan Taylor's the real deal and no disrespect to Jonathan Taylor. David Montgomery has more yards rushing than Jonathan Taylor has through three weeks. Not by much. There, it's it's 191 yards for Montgomery versus 182 for for Jonathan Taylor, but you know you're kind of looking at mirror images offensively. The Bears are averaging 390 yards per game. The Colts are averaging 390 yards per game. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, and what's nice is the the Bears are getting pressure all across the defensive line. So where is the pressure going to come from, and what do the Colts do? Who are they going to stop? Are they going to stop Quinn? Are they going to stop Mac? Or are they going to stop Akeem Hicks? That's the question. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. their their protection has been pretty solid so far, but I would wager they really haven't faced, you know, a caliber of defensive front that the bears are in terms of pass rush, especially. So, you know, for, for them, this is their biggest, you know, obstacle and, and challenge of the season as well. So it's really interesting to see these two teams because they're both playing well, but it feels like both haven't really played their best at the same time. So it's kind of a feeling out process to see, okay, how good are we really? And, you know, to see the matchups and, you know, it's strength on strength. If you really look at it, the Bears defensive front against the Colts offensive front, you know, the matchup I'm actually really interested to see is how the Bears wide receivers attack the Colts secondary, because I think the Colts secondary might be their, you know, biggest weakness because it's banged up. You lose Malik Hooker. I think Rock gets sins out. So, you know, they're at, they're on some reserves and, you know, they play a basic style of coverage. So if the bears can keep Foles upright, I think he can take advantage of that. I think you're right. And when you take a look at the Colts schedule so far, they, they destroyed New York, the jets. Okay. Oh, they, they destroyed who, who the hasn't jets. destroyed the Jets? <laughs> okay. They, they, they did beat Minnesota, but they, they lost to Jacksonville. Yeah. Nobody loses to Jacksonville. (laughs) 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 I mean, you know, I get that. Jacksonville is just not a very good team. They don't have a lot of talent, but I do respect their quarterback. I I happen to be a Gardner Minshew fan. I think he can be a really, really good quarterback if he ever gets enough help. So, you know, I wasn't surprised he played well in that game. I was surprised that Jacksonville won. I was definitely surprised by that. But that just tells you that, you know, the Colts, the the Colts, Jesus. Uh, the Colts aren't infallible. They they can absolutely be beat. And, you know, if if Gardner Minshew can do it with that caliber of team, then the Bears can absolutely do it. And I think if the Bears can jump on them early and get a lead, the way we know Phillip Rivers operates, he's he, he's when when he has to come from behind, that's when he starts to make mistakes. You know, he starts to throw interceptions just because he's scrambling to get back in the game. It's been his MO his entire career. He's he's such a good quarterback, but at the same time, he's prone to big mistakes when he has to chase. So, you know, I think that should be the Bears' game plan. Find a way to get on top and force Rivers to chase you because that's when he'll start making mistakes, especially if he has to go up against this pass rush. So, you know, that's the game plan I would be looking for. 
And you know, I, I really hope they're able to get off of, <laughs> able to get off to a fast start for once. We can we can only hope. You know, Philip Rivers in the Jacksonville game, even though they lost, um, Indianapolis had 27 first downs. Philip Rivers threw for over 360 yards. Minshew only threw for 173 yards in the game, but he had three touchdowns. Do you know what his his percentage was? His completion percentage was in week one. Wasn't it absurd, like 22 of 23 or something? 19 of 20. Right, yeah. One one freaking ball hit the ground, but he only threw the ball 20 times. Rivers put the ball in the air 46 times. He completed 36 of them for 363 yards and a touchdown, but he did throw for two interceptions. Right. So so that's, you know, an interesting stat that that they did that. In in week two – they played Minnesota, and they ended up coming with, with they they just destroyed Kirk Cousins. That was just an embarrassment. Kirk Cousins threw for uh, 11 out of 26 for 113 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions, and the only it was ugly. Ball, they only ran the ball 18 times for 80 yards. So defensively, you know, this Colts defense is, is probably the toughest uh, opposition that the bears are going to face so far in the first four weeks of the season is obviously Detroit can't stop anybody. Uh, New York couldn't do a thing last week um, against a beat up San Francisco team. And of course, Atlanta is, uh, you know, Atlanta is Atlanta. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're and three. So I think what the, the bears are, the bears opponents are, are so far uh, one in eight on the season, but uh, you know, the uh, Indianapolis Colts opponents, you know, haven't, haven't had much of a, a winning record either. So uh, this is going to be a great test for this team. It's in its time. It's time for the Bears to really put a, a four-quarter game together. And, you know, I, I expect the Bears to win by at least 10. Well, I, I, hey, I love your optimism. And, you know, they're at home. I get it. You're not going to have the hometown crowd. But, you know, I think they match up well with this team. The only fear I have is if they can't protect Foles because that defensive front is no joke. You know, I, DeForest Buckner is a beast. Justin Houston can still get after it. And, you know, you also can't ignore that great linebacker of theirs, Leonard. He's a great blitzer and just an all-around terrific player. So that front seven is tremendous of theirs. So controlling them is going to be the key to the game to me. If they can keep Foles upright, I absolutely think he can take full advantage of the back end of that defense. And if he he can, you know, put some early touchdowns on the board, I think the Bears are going to be in full control of that game. So I believe they can win, and if they protect Foles, they will win. Let's only hope that we, that means they go into the the Thursday night matchup against the uh, Tampa Bay Gronkineers. <laughs> uh, you know, four and zero. You know, yeah. The uh, you know you took a take a look at at the rest of the division, and of course Green Bay Green Bay's offense is playing lights out. Uh, they play. They have a Monday night matchup against Atlanta, you know, Atlanta's coming off back-to-back games where they just got throttled in the second half, more importantly, the fourth quarter. Uh, But they started off well. But no team has started off well against Green Bay yet. So if if they get punched in the mouth early, how is Green Bay going to react? Because they pretty much have had nobody take them on and punch them in the mouth so far. Detroit got lucky at the end of the game, kicked the field goal in Arizona, and I, I will be the first to admit I didn't expect to see that at all. But I didn't expect Minnesota to be 0-3 this year. So it's it's really, you know, this division is it can really come down to Bears versus the Packers really early on and continue that way through the rest of the year. And they don't 
play each other until the second half of the season. And they finish the season in Chicago January 3rd. Seems rather fitting, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And, you know, I, I don't know if you happen to be – I was at both Green Bay-Chicago games in Soldier Field the last two years. You know, so we had the, the coronation – uh, of the division winners where they clinched the division against Green Bay at home on that December day. And then last year, of course, was the 100 season, of, which was only fitting for it to start in Chicago against Green Bay. And they ended up laying a colossal egg. And that was the beginning of the demise of Mitch Trubisky because Mitch Trubisky oh. had a terrible game and his confidence was shaken. And I, I think that his confidence being shaken was the number one reason that he ended up having such a bad season as he did. I wholeheartedly agree with you. That game set the tone for the entire season. I think he went in expecting it to be similar to what it was in 2018 when he played well against the Packers to seal the division. They came out, busted him in the mouth early. He didn't know how to react. He had a terrible game. They lost and in which he was the primary culprit with that interception. He only scored three points. And I really don't think he ever recovered from that game, not just through 2019, but, you know, even in 2020, I think it really did shake his confidence and he was never able to get off the mat from it. I saw a much more confident Mitch Trubisky in Detroit uh, in, in week one. Uh, we saw him with a lot more confidence uh, against New York. But then the second half of the New York game and the first half of of the Atlanta game, they scored 10 points against yeah. terrible defenses. They scored yep. 10 points in four quarters. And, you know, of the rest is history. They pull the plug on him and Foles, you know, has this great comeback. And, you know, it, it kind of got Bears fans excited about this team. And And I got to tell you, I was a I was a Trubisky supporter going into this year. I thought that uh, with all the work he put in, in in the off season, getting his body right, getting his mind right, working with uh, you know a couple of different quarterback coaches uh, and working on his footwork and and getting his his shoulder, both shoulders, uh, you know, healthy. Yeah, I I really expected him to come out and. You know, he threw for five touchdown passes in his first two games, but he did it in two quarters. Right. I mean, you know, it, it, it was the same old Mitch. I mean, he, he plays in spurts. You know, he'd have these great runs of where he put up, you know, some really impressive numbers, and then he'd disappear for a, longer, for a long stretch of time. And it's like, you know, which, which guy are you? Are you this guy who just plays – you know, poorly, or are you this guy that, you know, can put, put it out lights out? Are you the six touchdown guy? Or are you the, you know, green Bay game guy where you can't do anything right. And that inconsistency was really starting to wear on Matt Nagy, even before, even before last season ended. So it's not, it really shouldn't have been a huge surprise when he had the quick hook on Trubisky after, you know, showing those 2019 tendencies against Atlanta, because you saw all, all so much of the same stuff. You know, trouble reading coverage and an inability to stay poised in the pocket, you know, constantly overthrowing his guys, bad ball placement. It was all there. And Matt Nagy finally had enough. And I really don't blame him. I'm, I wasn't all that surprised when he went to polls. I don't think anybody. Well, I, I guess I guess I'm, I'm lying because there were a lot of people questioning the move just for the simple fact that. Um, Trubisky has shown a propensity to have good fourth quarter comeback. Uh, but, um, you know, it was, it was, you know, like you said, when you take a look at that, that the, what is now going to come down to an infamous play in, in Mitch Trubisky's career, the, he didn't read the field. He should have, he yep. should have known where that linebacker was and, he should have thrown the ball somewhere else. And I, one of the most, one of the most damning uh, cases to be made about this whole scenario was after the game, uh, Mike Furry was, was uh, talking to the media 
and he kind of gave a, a, a shot, a, you know, I don't know if it's, you want to call it a parting shot to Mitch, but it was a throw, I believe, to Wims. It was a back shoulder throw, and Mike Furry basically said, well, we haven't seen a lot of those. You know, yeah. Yeah, and that was, you know, that, that was a tough comment to hear coming from the wide receiver coach advocating for his receivers. I don't blame him. But I, I, yeah. I honestly didn't expect to hear it. Oh, there's no question. And listen, I don't think Furry did that with the intention of taking a shot at Trubisky. It just came off that way because, you know, he was making a comment about, you know, why Wims wasn't prepared for it. And he was telling the truth. He hasn't seen stuff like that because Mitch was just never that good at throwing them. And, you know, it was a shot, but it was an unintentional shot. But at the same time, it does sting and, you know, reminds you how limited Trubisky actually was in terms of, you know, throwing the passes from an entire playbook and how limited the Bears offense has actually been around him. It was so exciting to watch this offense in the fourth quarter last week even more so than than what we saw in Detroit from week one, because it, you just saw the entire team playing with confidence. And not just confidence, but rhythm and timing. And you started to, you started to see all the tendencies that, you know, Nagy was going for the stuff that he ran in Kansas city, you know, Foles was getting the ball out on top, ball out on time. He was making reads. He was making adjustments at the line. You know, he knew where everything was coming from. And despite not having a, a very strong rapport with these receivers, he's only been with them for a couple of months. You know, he started to, he started to find the timing. He was finding them on the right spots. You know, the Ted Ginn throw, you know, that out throw to Allen Robinson, despite the tough coverage, it was perfectly placed for him to make a move and go in for that touchdown. So, you know, it just goes to show you how different it can be when you have a quarterback who has the football intelligence and, you know, the good eyes to see what he needs to see on the field. It, it's a remarkable difference. And it just tells you again how hard it is to play quarterback in the NFL. But it was, sure was fun seeing great quarterback play for in in a in an orange and blue jersey, wasn't it? Oh man! Well, you know, how often do we actually get to see it? So when we do see it, we're kind of taken aback. We we talked earlier in the show about the '85 Bears in the the Super Bowl. Um, Jim McMahon should have been the MVP of, of the Super Bowl. Uh, They gave it to Richard Dent because of the dominance that the defense had, and they just picked apart the the New England line. But, you know, he wasn't the media darling that most of the quarterbacks you see today are, the the, the Bradys. And I wouldn't call Aaron Rodgers a media, um, you know, the media loves him because of his talent, but he's not, you know, he, he comes off as pretty arrogant, just like McMahon did. But sure. it's a it's a different it's a different era. But uh, you know, you, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is is a media darling. Uh, of course, you know Lamar Jackson's a media darling. Mahomes is a a media darling. Jimmy Garoppolo has got the Jimmy G look, you know, so the, the GQ sure. look. Um, and Mitch Trubisky was the guy that everybody wanted to pick on because. Everybody seems to forget that he was the number one rated quarterback going into the 2017 draft. And the, the quarterback that was probably at the more upside, but had the most risk was Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. The, so go figure, huh? you know, go figure it. He turned out to be the best out of all of them. And here we are. So the bears, maybe they'll be looking for uh, a quarterback in the 21 draft. Maybe they won't. Um, you know, we've already heard rumors of, of Trubisky getting traded. Who the hell's going to trade for <laughs> Trubisky, you know, after him getting pulled? And there's no way that the Bears would, would, would get rid of him, at least now, this, this early well, not in with, the season, especially with Foles' right. reputation of not being able to get through a whole season. Exactly. You know, Foles has a history of getting injured. You know, I think he'd run the, he'll run the offense just fine. I think he'll be productive. It's the question of injury with him. Can he stay upright for a full, for a close to a full season in this case, you know, and that's why I keep, keep harping on the fact that you've got to protect him because he has a history of getting hurt. 
you know, so that's going to be foremost in the Bears' minds, which is why Trubisky is not going anywhere. You know, they're going to keep him around, even if his confidence might be at a bit of a low point, obviously. So you know, they're going to keep him around. They're going to, you know, probably tell him you got to be ready because you can go back in at any time because, you know, a full situation, he might get hurt or whatever. So, you know, keeping Mitch, you know, sort of warmed up and ready just in case is absolutely the smart thing to do, you know, because you'll probably end up getting a draft pick for Mitch neck, you know, in 2022 anyway, because somebody's going to sign him and the bears will probably get a compensatory draft pick for him anyway. So, you know, one way or another, they'll probably end up with a pick of some kind whenever he does leave. So you, you want to keep him around, keep him as a capable backup. You know, he's got a winning record. He's shown that he can play good football in spurts. So that's the kind of guy you really want as a backup. So I don't think he's going anywhere. I think you're right. With that, that wraps up this week's edition of the Halitech Hall Show. Uh, I want to thank our, our guest, uh, Eric Lambert from sportsmockery.com. Give us your, uh, your Twitter handle, Eric. It's at Eric Lambert one. Perfect. You got to watch, you know, you got to read his stuff, guys. It's some of the best stuff you see on the internet when it comes to bears related topics. Um, he's right up there with the best of them. Eric, it's always a pleasure. Hope to have you on the show again later in the season. I'm looking forward to it. All right, my friend. With that, that wraps up this week's edition of Halitech Call. We hope to have Aaron. Hopefully Aaron has, has uh, survived his, his uh, anniversary uh, evening with his wife, and he'll be back on next week. With that, this is Mike Halitech talking for Aaron Torricelli, and thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs>